Yeah, pretty, that's true. All right. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke. Have that ready to go. What we are trying to do this morning is we are, have a passage in front of us that has been declared by most, or not, well, by many, I should say. I can't say most. That's hard to, to prove. By many as being the most difficult passage in the entire Bible. The passage has to do with money. In fact, the way one source basically interpreted the entire passage was this. I read this in the first hour. Let me read it to you again. This was their interpretation. We need to use money well in order to enter into eternal life. Even those who may not offer that interpretation, they will at least say, in fact, let me read from this commentary, the subject is money, and the object is to teach us the proper place of money in life. So everyone seems to agree that the passage that we, that we have in front of us that is considered the most difficult, at least at the very minimum, that it's about money. So because it's about money and because it's difficult, then we took our typical hermeneutical approach that we take in this church. Instead of just immediately getting into it, I I could just, I could look at it. I could tell everyone this is a difficult passage. I could break it down to three points and say, see, that wasn't very complicated. And then you would all leave going, that wasn't very complicated. Those were three points. The only problem is doing that requires me to do what? Actually, just ignore the text just impose three points upon the text, convince you that we actually studied the text, and then we all walk away happily deceived that we had a great church service, when in reality, all we did was play a little game, and I hate playing those games, so we're, gonna, we're trying to figure this out. So I decided, well, it's about money. The best thing to do, whenever you figure out what the topic is about a controversial passage, look at everything the Bible has to say in regards to that topic, because that does what? That begins to limit your options with the passage. So we started looking at what the Bible has to say about money. And if we were to summarize what the Bible has to say about money, it's not such a pleasant subject because it seems to imply that as believers, we are to be so detached, so uninterested in money that we are willing to, even if someone was to unlawfully sue us for part of our possessions, we would give them more of our possessions. If someone wants something from us, we will give it even to our own detriment and to our hurt. That we are to do what? We are supposed to be laying up treasures and heaven not even laying up treasures on earth, right? We are to be seeking first the kingdom of God. We're not even to be worried, preoccupied, or have any anxiety about what? Even our needs. Forget our greeds, even our needs. Because supposedly... God will take care of all of them. In fact, it seems to imply that we don't even need to do anything. And then Jesus, in a shocking uh, story in Matthew 19, someone asked him, what must he do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him to do what? Sell everything they have and give to the poor and follow him. Immediately implying that what is Jesus saying? Well, the law demands a detachment from money and that you love God so supremely that you should give up everything so in order to have eternal life. And we talked about how people try to approach that. So now, now just remember, I was, I'm going to drive this point home. We can go from scripture to scripture to scripture that's going to imply over and over and over we're supposed to be detached from money in fact, we even looked, looked at it in Luke 14. Remember in Luke 14? What did Jesus say when we had that big discussion about discipleship? Forsake all of your possessions. Remember that in Luke 14? Right? Remember that entire section we talked about how difficult Luke 14 was and I, we spent a lot of time in like two hours on Luke 14 and then we talked about discipleship, Right? And so that even even people who say, no, 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 you don't have to sell everything. You don't have to give up everything to get eternal life. They come around and say, you have to do all of that in order to prove you have eternal life, which means you have to do it in order to have eternal life. So they're just playing games. And all of those cases, everyone should be immediately willing to say, wait, I can't. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm not forsaking everything. I'm not... The, something I, I cannot do this. 
And in fact, Jesus says in in Matthew 19, we looked at the passage, sell everything you have and be perfect because the law demands perfection. So even if you say obedience proves salvation, what kind of obedience would you need? Perfect. All right, I want to... Man, if you don't take anything away from this morning, that should be a major point you take away. Because when we argue with lordship salvation, we always make the wrong argument. We get into all the, just say, okay, you're right. My action proves my salvation. Now, what's the required action to prove it? Perfection. The end of the debate. Because immediately the person should do what? Well, well, no, 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 no. We, we, we went through MacArthur's test, and every single test, what did he do? You have to do this, but, but. And then he makes all the exceptions that we're not going to do it perfectly. No, the law demands perfection. If my actions prove my salvation, then perfection is the standard. Anyone who's not perfect proves they're not saved. Therefore, no one is saved. End the story, shut the church down, everyone go home. My argument is, yes, the law demands perfection. I can't be perfect. Christ is perfect in him. Then I'm declared perfect positionally. That's the only way to understand this, right? So so no matter how many passages we go through about money, they're all going to make us feel very what? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can't do this. We don't do this. We don't do this. We can't do this. I mean, I can just go to Acts chapter 2 and show you the early church. What did they do? sold all of their possessions once again. So even the early church felt that that's what they were supposed to do. They sold all of their possessions and had it in common. We, nobody is going to do that in 2023, right? We will say that that was just ridiculous for them to do it in the first place. So we, we know that there's a major conflict here. Now, I want to go through the rest of the passages on money. I really do because I think it's important. We may have to circle back to it, all right? Well, let's go to the passage that everyone says, or many say, I, should, I, keep, I keep saying everyone, many say is the most difficult in the entire Bible. And that is Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. All right. Now, a couple of things. Please, as we work through this, stay with me. Don't read ahead. Stay with me <clears throat> because I'm going to try to break this down as, as much as possible. I am going to use probably uh, multiple translations to see that we can make sure it's clear what's going on here. Just note, many refer to this as a parable. Others say it's never identified as a parable. They don't know why it's called a parable. All right? But when it's referred to as a parable, it's sometimes referred to as the parable of the dishonest steward or the dishonest manager. Okay? Now, this is... What makes the story weird is the hero of the story is someone who is a lying cheat. The hero of the story is a liar, a dishonest cheat, and somehow he's the hero of the story, which is immediately raises like, why is he the hero of the story? He should not be the hero of the story. He should be the villain, Right? Or we can go antagonist, protagonist. We, we could get it. We, you get the idea, right? There's something, immediately people feel like, wait, what is going on, right? What is going on? Because this parable is, or story, I don't know if it's a parable. This story is crazy. So are you ready? Let's, let's go. We're going to work our way through this. We're going to take our time. Here we go. Like my, my original goal is just to like, I want to read the whole thing and then back away, back through it. But I hate that because it kind of like, it's like watching, watching the end of a movie and then starting the movie over, right? Like, I don't like that. Like, I like to work through it. Like, you don't know what's going on. That's my favorite way of teaching. The only problem is everyone starts reading ahead, which then ruins it, okay? But, but try to stay with me, okay? Everybody ready? All right, here we go. Now, he said to the disciples. Now, we just had a whole discussion about the word disciples, but we won't get into that, right? Now, he said to the disciples, there was a rich man, who received an accusation that his manager was squandering his possessions. That's how one translation reads. Another one states it like this. 
And he said unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. All right. So let's go ahead and start at least outlining or at least listing the basic characters in the story. All right. First character of the story, a rich man. We have a rich man. He's got a lot of money, a lot of possessions of a rich man. Okay. Second main character of the story. The steward. The steward. Now, what is a steward? What is a steward? Okay, a manager. Let me just read from one definition. A steward is someone who manages another's wealth. He does not own that wealth himself. Right? He does not own it. He's in charge of it. He, he's to manage it. He's to protect it. He's to ensure Good things come about with it, right? He's just the manager, all right? So we got the two main characters. Now, we got the two main characters. What is the main issue happening here? The manager wasting or squandering his pos- the, the possessions of the rich man. No, we, if you go back, is it like, everybody can look. Is it Luke 15? That's the story of the prodigal son. Is it Luke 15? And what did he do with his father's inheritance? Does it say he wasted it or something along those lines? It's like Luke 15, is it verse 13 or something along those lines? I'm going from memory here. Wasted his substance. He wasted it. So Jesus has already told the story of someone who got a bunch of money and wasted it. Here's someone in charge of a bunch of money and squandered it or wasted it. He wasn't doing the right thing with it. Everybody got that? That's at least the accusation, right? So he called his manager in to have a meeting. Like, hey, we got to have a meeting here. Something's wrong. From one translation, they, they translate it this way. What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be my manager. Basically, he calls them in and like, hey, we got to talk. I need, I need all the records. And you're fired. You're done because I don't know what in the world, you're the worst manager I've ever had. Right? You're wasting all my money. I, can't, I, I, I don't want to lose my money here, right? So you're fired. Give an account. Right? So far, so good, right? We still have the, the, the two main characters, right? The rich man and the manager. Okay, now, verse three. Again, from this translation, then the manager said to himself, what will I do since my master is taking the management away from me. Basically, he starts having a conversation with himself, and he's like, oh, man. man." So you can almost see the meeting just ended, right? The meeting just ended, and the the manager is walking around doing what? He's like, oh, man, what am I going to do? 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 So he starts trying to, and we we get to hear a conversation with himself. And what does he say? I'm not strong enough to dig in this translation. I, I don't want to dig ditches. Like the last thing I want to do is dig ditches. Well, whether he's incapable of doing it, unwilling to do it, he just doesn't want to do what? He doesn't want to dig ditches. All right? I, I, look, who wants to dig ditches? Okay, right? I, I understand that. Right? You, you can understand. Look, if you've ever been fired, you know immediately that first thought is, what am I going to do? And he's like, what am I going to do? He doesn't want to dig ditches. What's the next thing he doesn't want to do? Okay, I'm ashamed to beg. I I don't want to beg. So he knows there's two things he doesn't want to do. He doesn't want to dig ditches and he doesn't want to beg. And you can understand that. You you may feel a little, I don't know if you, I don't know if you read the story. Like I always try to get emotionally invested in the stories. I always try to enter into the stories. I kind of feel bad. I don't know how how much he messed up, but I'm kind of like, man, couldn't be given another ch- chance. Couldn't be like, is there, well, this guy's in bad shape. Right? I don't want him to have to beg. I don't want him to have to dig ditches. Come on, man. Come up, come up with a good idea. I'm kind of rooting for him right here. Come up with a good idea. Maybe you're not rooting for him, but I'm kind of rooting for him. Okay, all right. All right, Bobby's like, hey, dig ditches. It's your problem, right? Okay, all right. But I feel kind of bad for him, all right? So I know what I'll do. This is how this translation reads. That when I'm removed from management, people will come to me, will welcome me into their homes. So he's thinking, okay, wait a minute. Okay, I got to figure something out. 
If I'm about to lose my job, I got a brief amount of time to figure out a plan that I can get in good with some people so they will do what? They'll take me in. I got I to gotta make sure I have a dwelling place. I got to make sure I have a home. I got to make sure. So if I, can, if I can find a way to make friends and influence people, then guess what will happen when I don't have a job? You can stay with me. So he's got a, he, he's obviously extremely worried that when he loses his job, he's going to lose what quickly place to live. Now, I don't know. I don't know. Now the text doesn't say, so I don't want to impose this, but I'm going to at least throw out an idea. Is it possible that his employment also provided him a place to live because he was a manager of the of the estate, and so he had a place to stay, and now he's no longer even going to have a place to live, meaning he's got to come up with a solution fast. There may be a lot of pressure on him, right? So far, so good. And I can tell some of you are reading the story like I just said not to do. All right. All right, here we go. What's next? So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. Here's the next group of people in the story. All right, who's the first character? Rich man, second character, the steward. The third, the debtors. These are people who owe money to whom? The rich man, all right? So now, guess what? What do the debtors not know? They don't know the situation. They don't know the steward is not the steward. They don't know the manager is not the manager. They don't know he's been fired, right? So they assume that whatever the manager comes up with, he's speaking on behalf of? The rich man. So he's going to utilize this, but he's got to utilize it what? Quickly. And the text is going to clearly demonstrate he knows that. Right? So what what does he do? All right? So he summoned each one of his master's debtors. How much do you owe my master? He asked the first one. A hundred measures of olive oil is the way this one reads. He said, take your invoice, he told him. Sit down quickly and write, 50. Now, please know what he told him to do what? Sit down quickly. Oh, we got to hurry. We got to hurry. We got to hurry. Now, immediately someone owes a hundred of something and he just cut it in half. What, however we can get, I could look up all of the measurements and it means this much. And I mean, whatever it, ma- whatever it is, he owes now half of what he owed. Everyone, would that make you happy? Yeah. If I owe whatever I owe to cut it in half, I'm like, this guy is wonderful. This guy's great because he wants to make someone who will let him live with them. Hey, remember what I did, man. I remember when you owed all of that money, I cut it in half, right? Because I'm a good, I'm a good steward. Now, the only problem is who's he defrauding here? The rich man's getting ripped off. This guy's a lying, deceitful, you know, jerk. I don't know what you, I mean, if you're the rich man, you don't, you're probably not going to have good words for this guy, right? Uh, Yeah. uh, Well, the other times he squandered it. We don't know if he stole it. We don't know what he did. He may just have been lazy. Who knows what he did? But in this case, he's just flat out defrauding the rich man, right? Because he's trying to make friends. So he cuts it in half. Cuts it in half. Uh, And then uh, next he asked another, how much do you owe? And a, a, a hundred measures of wheat, he said. Take your invoice, he told him, and write 80. Now this one, he doesn't cut it down as much, right? Okay, but he's still doing what? Still try, trying, trying to help people out. I don't know why he didn't cut this one in half. I don't know, who knows, right? The point, maybe he thought if the first one's good enough, this one is just a backup. I don't know what he did. I don't know what he's doing. But the point is, he's reducing it in a deceitful way. He, does he have the authority to do this? No, he does not have the authority to do this. Second, who's being defrauded? The master is being defrauded. Right? Now remember, this guy's going to be the hero in the story. This guy's going to be the hero in the story. All right? The, so then, so now right there, the, he's done. He's, he's finished this. Now at some point, now, Jesus just tells the story, you know, he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't elaborate on the story and paint a big picture. Sometimes I hate that. Like, sometimes you wish you would tell a little bit more, you know, because his storytelling just really goes from just boom, 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 right? Almost like bullet points. They're like, come on, elaborate a little bit. But at some point, 
The master figures out what's going on. Like, the guy's like, what's happening here? Right? I don't know if it's been a day. I don't know if it's been two days. I don't know how long. But at some point, he's like, something's happening here. And he knows who's responsible. That guy I fired. That guy, what is he doing? And, but look, I don't know how your translation reads, but this translation reads, are you ready for this? Verse 8, how does your translation read? Commended. Commended him, right? Um, the master uh, praised. The master praised. Now, question. Just, just, just from a textual standpoint, the person praising, is that the rich man or is Jesus stepping in praising? What do you think? I'm just, gonna, I'm just asking the question, just rhetorical, just a, not rhetorical, but just asking the question, Okay, everybody thinks it's the rich man. Okay, all right. I just want to make sure just because, you know, we, we like to cover every, every possibility. All right. I think so. I, I think, think so. Does everybody feel comfortable with that? All right. Because if it's not the rich man, then you, you, it's a little easier to go. Okay. Right. You know, Jesus steps in now. And it, but no, he's like the rich man praying. You're like, well, why is the rich man praising this guy? But what does he say? He praised. Now, this is how my translation puts it. The unrighteous manager. How does your translation has it? Unjust. This guy, the the text is not, make it very clear. The text is not praising him for what he did, right? He's clearly saying what he did is wrong. It's unrighteous. It's unjust, right? This guy has definitely done something wrong. So what is he praising him for? Because he acted shrewdly is how my translation has. What do you have? Wisely wisely, right? Shrewdly. He, he demonstrated, what's another way of saying it? What, what's some other ways of saying it? wisely or shrewdly? What would be some other words we could put here? Well, let's do this. Grab your blue letter Bible apps and look up the word there and tell me what's some other meanings that the word has. It's translated wisely in the King James, translated shrewdly in other uh, translations. So make sure we have a good understanding of this word. Make sure we at least understand it. I'm not saying it's going to help us any, but at least we can try to come up with something. What do we have? Make you guys look it up. It's translated wisely. If I can't find it, let me know. Prudently, okay. How many times is the word used in the New Testament? Okay, it's just used one time. Okay, all right. Well, so, so we don't have a lot to go on here. Okay. Well, prudently and wisely. Okay, we don't have like hundreds of cross references to connect this to or anything like that. Because because I just want we just want to have some understanding what he's being praised for. But he's basically being praised for being prudent, wise. I think it may be fair to say pretty clever, ingenious, right? You could even argue pretty smart, right? I, I think you could say that. So let's go back to it, all right? So the master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. And it says for the children. Now, this seems to be this part here, starting after shrewdly, for the children of this age. That seems to now be, I don't think this is the rich man at this point offering this, right? This seems to be Jesus offering commentary. What do you think? Okay. Now it says the Lord. Okay. So does this seem to all... All, do you, how much of this do y'all put into the words of the, of the rich man and how many of this do you believe leaves the rich man and enters into the words of Jesus? King James seems to put it all together, does it not? Okay. Now, my translation, just so that you know, they put a period after shrewdly or wisely. 
they start a completely new sentence. The NIV does the same thing, does it not? So what do y'all think? For those using the King James, who are all into punctuation, what do y'all think? Who's doing the speaking here? Is this the rich man now going to start getting to this whole discussion about the children of this age? I, I, I just does, it seems weird that that would be the rich man. It seems like Jesus is offering commentary here. What do y'all think? I mean, you can disagree. That's okay. I mean, obviously some translators put a period there because they, they see it. But remember, the punctuation is not in the original, so this is why things get all complicated because who's in charge of the punctuation at this point? Translators, right? It seems like Jesus steps in to me. Right? That's my feeling, but I could be wrong. So I'm waiting for anybody else to offer. Sarah and Stacy is the two I'm waiting for, right? You are the punctuation geniuses, right? So tell me, what do you think? Okay, all right. All right, if we get the punctuation people who know, then okay. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, it, that, Jesus has to step in at this point, right? I feel like he has to. Because this typically, at the end, is where Jesus te- typically, now I know some say this is a parable, typically at the end of the parables where Jesus does what? Gives the lesson, right? He gives some kind of a summary, right? So let's at least read this, okay? So at this point, the master has praised the unrighteous manager, which just seems bizarre, right? Because you think the manager would, or the, you think the rich man would be like, you jerk, but he praises him. Because clearly, I, again, I, you can tell why some people think this is a parable because that just seems to go against like logic, right? Like, I don't think the rich man would be like, oh man, you're so smart. You're really smart, man. You're really wise. I, I think he'd be like, uh, I think I'm going to use this to press more charges against you. You forget getting a new job. You're going to prison, right? You just defrauded me, right? Now I, you go back and get my money, right? You think that's, th- the whole thing feels like a parable, right? And if it's a parable, then how do we interpret a parable? If it is a parable, if we place it under that genre, then how do we interpret a parable? What's the key to a parable? One lesson. Almost always basically has one lesson, right? And why is that important? That means we don't have to take every little part and go, this represents this and this, because that almost always gets you in trouble in parables, right? Because not everything is supposed to line up perfectly. It's just all of the details are pointing to one major issue. Right? Well, at least here we get some kind of a, a lesson kind of summarized here, right? For the children of this age in mind or this world are more shrewd. That's how the, this translation has it. How do they describe the, the wiser than the children of light and what? They're wiser in what way? What does the text say? Dealing with their own kind. Okay, how does the King James puts it? And what, wiser in what way? Wiser about what? Okay, it doesn't say wiser in what way. All right, most translations say uh, wiser in dealing with their own people. Okay. Meanings, right. Okay, but so, so whether dealing with their own people means there's a specific wiser that they're looking at, according to some translations, King James appears to leave that out, just says they're wiser. So immediately, what is implied here, at least the first thing that's screaming at us, is that this text is to demonstrate that basically the people of the world are smarter or wiser than the believers as far as what is concerned. Again, these translations says dealing with their own kind. Some would say in regards to finances or money or something along those lines. Well, on the one hand, that's not too surprising, especially if you looked at everything we did in the first hour. Because what is the Christian approach supposed to be to money from just the basic things that we've seen this morning? We're supposed to be detached from it. We're not worried about it. We're not pursuing it. We're looking at what? We're seeking the first, the kingdom of heaven. We're willing to give up anything. We're willing to be defrauded. We're willing, like our entire approach is supposed to be different. So immediately you're like, okay, that's not too surprising. It's the point of the story simply to say, hey, 
The world is smarter than you guys when it comes to dealing with money. Okay. So are you telling me to be dishonest like him? Are you telling me that we need to be as dishonest as the world is in dealing with money? I don't think that's the point of the story, right? There's, I think the next verse is where the real lesson is. And this is where everybody gets all, everything falls apart. Because that, that lesson doesn't really seem to do much for us, right? Hey, the people of the world are smarter in dealing with money than the people uh, of God. Well, we should expect that. Because ever, all these scriptures tell us to be what with money? Detached, disinterested. So that, that's not much of a lesson. And then, so then if you took the lesson, it would be like, well, start being like these deceitful people in the world and be better with your money. That is, I, there's probably some Christian financial program out there that would say that. That's not the point, okay? That's not the point. He's just right here just making an, obs- I think this is just an observation. The observation is, these people are going to probably be smarter than we are because they're more, well, one, they may not have any rules controlling their behavior. And two, they care more about it than we do. So I'm not, I don't think that's the main issue. Now, the next verse is where everything begins to fall apart. And this is where a lot of people start the story with the last verse, then and go back to the first. I didn't do that. I, I did it the opposite way, but that's okay. What's the next verse say? All right, now, this is clearly Jesus. And I tell you, what does he tell them to do? Make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings, what in the name of bubblegum is going on? What is, what, 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 what is that? Okay, remember, now, remember this is based off the story. The story was the, the unjust steward realized, I got to find a place to live, right? And he found out a place to live by doing what? Using money in a way to benefit people so that they would welcome in him into our homes. And now Jesus comes along and says, guess what you need to do? Use what? The King James is very dramatic in how it describes it. Use unrighteous mammon. Use unrighteous mammon. Jesus even acknowledges that money in and of itself, there's major problems with it, right? Now, now some people will argue I can read from an entire commentary. I think they have a see. Do I have it here? Um, okay, th- this is from this is not from a Catholic commentary. This is from a Protestant commentary. You ready? Money is not neutral. It is basically evil. Jesus calls it the mammon of unrighteousness. That is not from a Catholic commentary. That is from Warren W. Worsby, for crying out loud. About as mainstream in the evangelical world as you could get. Now, question, is money neutral? This is a a theoretical question that we will have to spend time on. Is money neutral? Okay, I think some of the scriptures we have read so far seems to imply that it's not neutral. We're supposed to be completely disconnected and disinterested in it, right? Which we don't know exactly how to make that work practically other than showing us what God demands and we can't do it. So some would argue money is completely neutral. It's just completely neutral. You can listen to hundreds of sermons on this. Money is neutral. It's what we do with it. Others seem to imply that Jesus is saying it's tainted. It's unrighteous. It's unrighteous mammon. It's not neutral. So, but whatever, however you want to approach it, Jesus says to do what? Use that mammon, use that money in order to do what? What is he saying in that verse? Use that money to do what? To make friends. Use your money to make friends. And why do you need these friends? 
when you fail, you're like, what? Wait, wait a minute. So if I fail, if I, because he's using the story, right? The story of the other guy got fired. He failed, right? So then he used money to make friends so he had a place to go. This, what is happening here? So, I, so I've got to have a backup plan, right? My backup plan is, look, look, man, there, there's a high probability. Like, I got to come to Bobby and like, look, man, there's a high probability that I'm going to mess up in my Christian life, man. I'm going to fail. So here, I got some money. All right. In fact, here's the church debit card. Just take this, use it however you want. Okay. Okay. Just don't let anybody else know because when I fail, when you get to heaven, because you're old, right? Hey, let me in because you're going to probably get there before me. So just make sure you're waiting for me because just remember, I gave you the church debit card, right? Now, if I say it that way, people are like, that is ridiculous. That is not what Jesus is saying. That is not what Jesus is saying. I understand, okay? I understand that nobody wants to think that's what Jesus is saying. But don't you, can't we all agree the text is a little bit concerning? So what do we do? 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 I don't know. Now, now do you see why I spent the first hour going through all the scriptures about money? Now, now do you see, and we didn't even come close. So what, let's, let's play our, we, we love doing this at Victory Baptist Church, so let's play our little game. Everybody ready? All right, everybody ready? Here we go. You ready? What are our possible options? What do you think some of our possible, and now everybody's going to start looking at everything. Just stop looking at everything. What are some possible, if, look, Luke 16 has been in your Bible since you became a Christian, right? So it's not a new text. So you've had to do something with it in your life. I don't know what you've done with it in your life. You've had to do something. If you listen to sermons, I'm assuming you've had to hear at least one sermon on this passage, right? So what have you done with this passage in your past as a Christian? Doesn't matter if it's wrong. Doesn't matter how foolish it is. I will mock you, but it's okay, all right? Go ahead and give me what is the best you've come up with in your Christian life when you read Luke 16 and your own personal reading and devotional time. Go! All right. So some, I think, I think what some does, that we reduce it to just a very generic principle, right? We just reduce it to like, well... Just, just be faithful with what God has given us, okay? It doesn't, really, it doesn't help us a lot, but at least it gives us something, all right? What has other people have done? That can't be 12 o'clock. What is that? Okay, all right. That's evil, okay. Give it a timer. What is that? No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking, okay. I don't care one way or the other. You can have all your alarms going off. I'm going to keep talking, okay? Right. So, it, come on. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah, I, I could hear you, okay. <laughs> I didn't hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'll acknowledge it, but I'm still going. All right, come on, help me out here. Come on, y'all have had to do something. Okay, y'all own have owned Luke 16 for a long time in your Bibles. Okay, come on, tell me what have y'all done? Some someone needs to admit it. You didn't do anything. You didn't ignore it. Okay, all right. I, I, like, I like when someone admits that. I like when someone admits it because it's just true. That how many times that many Christians, you see something you don't get, you just shrug your shoulders and move on. Some of us are not able to do that, right? Some of us have become compulsive and obsessed and, and we lose our minds. Okay, I don't know what you do with this, but some of you are, are easy. So for those who just moved on, you don't need to answer. But anybody else, if you came up with something, what did you do? Okay, so that the next verse is whoever is faithful and very little is also faithful and much, and whoever is unrighteous and, and very little is also unrighteous and much. Okay. Okay, right. Now, what's interesting is the lectionary because this all came from the uh, lectionary, the lectionary is like, nope, don't go to verse 10. 
They want you to be deal with verse 9. They want you to struggle with verse 9. Because you're right. I think most people jump to verse 10. Because verse 10 is much easier to wrap our minds around, right? What do we do with verse 10? What's the lesson in verse 10? Yeah, be faithful in the small things so you can be interested with the big things. Everyone can wrap their mind around that principle, right? So if everyone jumps to verse 10, then guess what? You're good to go, right? Because you can just ignore verse 9, right? I don't know what to do with verse 9, right? So if we, if we were to throw out, like if someone just came to you today and like, hey, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I've been reading Luke 16, help me out here. What would you tell them? What would you do with verse 9? If, if you don't know how you dealt with it in the past, how would you deal with it today if someone put you on the spot, like right now, like maybe you came to church and your pastor said, hey, you've got to give me the answer right now. Okay, what would you say right now? Okay, I think that's what we're going to hear. I don't think anybody has a clue. So some people approach it this way. Are you ready? Here's what we do. This is a story about how you and I as Christians use our money to invest into the kingdom of God so that people will get saved, so that they will be there to welcome us when we enter into heaven. Okay. All right? So that we use our money to invest into basically evangelism, preaching, teaching, missionaries, and then that money is how then, spiritually speaking, we make friends and then they're there to welcome us into heaven. How many feel that that works? I, I don't think that works at all. I don't, think, I don't even think that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Right? That doesn't make any sense to me. Right? Catholics have a better approach than that. The Catholics just make it like, hey, how you use your money is going to determine if you get into heaven. Okay? They're going to make it much more demanding passage, right? I don't know if that way works. I know it feels good. Hey, use your money to invest into the kingdom of God so that when you get there, they'll welcome you in. But it doesn't matter if they're there. Like, I'm going to invest my money to make sure someone's like, hey, come on in. You know, the the meal is set. It's a great place. Like, do I care if anyone's there? Welcome. Am I going to care that someone, I I hate to be just fleshly about it, but I'm just going to be honest. If I get to heaven, I don't really care if there's six people going, hey, because you invested your money wisely, I'm in heaven, come on in. I don't, I'm just going to be like, I made it, right? Okay, I'm like, I, I, I don't know. That just seems like maybe we can try to paint a beautiful little picture of that. That, oh, look, there's 15 people waiting for me because I invested my money. But the text doesn't seem that they're waiting for me. The text seems to be implying that they're there because I failed and they're letting me in. Is that not what the text seems to be implying? When you fail, right? And the story is someone has been fired and those other people are the ones letting him where? Into their homes. Now he, Jesus tells it, when you fail, make sure you've used unrighteous mammon so you got someone to get you. It's always, it, I hate to say, but this almost paints this picture that, man, I've so let Jesus down, man, that there's no way I'm getting in. But so good that I made friends with Bobby by using my money because Bobby will be like, Psst, go to the side door. Go to the side door. The side door. And I'm like, okay. And Bobby's like, okay, shh, shh. Okay, thanks. Thanks, man. I'm so glad. I'm glad. I'm glad I used that money. Thanks for letting me in, Bobby. That, that's how the story tends to read. Yeah, uh, y'all are looking at me like I'm crazy. Is that not how the story reads? Would you read verse nine out of that crazy version? Okay, <laughs> all right, all right. The crazy version, as this is being called, the crazy version. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth, so that when it fails, now it says it fails, right? That they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Now. What fails? The money fails? When the money's gone. When the money's gone. Then they'll let me in. But I've got to use the money. So when the money's gone, they're like, that's just as confusing. So is it I'm failing? The King James says, when you fail. Or you fail and you become poor. All right. So when I fail and lose everything I have, 
then I can get into heaven because I've used my money. Right. Oh, well, I, I think we all, clearly we should use our money for good. But this seems to be using money in such a way that's somehow going to be advantageous or get, get into heaven. That's, that's the issue. That's the, which then goes back to what of all the, that's why we were reading all of those scriptures this morning. You see why I was reading all of those scriptures? Because all those scriptures this morning, like if I was a, if I was looking at it from a hardcore Catholic perspective, I'd be like, well, look, this is what it says. You got to be willing to do what? Give up all your possessions. You'd have to do this. You have to do this. So do we look at this? Now, I'm, 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 not, I'm not even going to pretend that this works, okay? I'm not even going to pretend this works. I'm just, like, yeah, I don't have any ideas, so I got to be the one to throw out ideas, right? Okay, so you got to deal with whatever ideas I come up with, right? This feels very similar, at least in part, to some of the scriptures we've read. And I got plenty of other scriptures. I got an entire page here of scriptures of the New Testament saying this about money and this about money and this about money and this about money. And in every situation, it's about basically... Don't serve it. Don't love it. Don't pursue it. Don't care about it. Give it up. Serve God. Put God first. Over and over and over and over and over. And every one of those situations, I've already been able to demonstrate that even if we try to apply those practically, no one's pulling it off practically, right? So we're all going to fall short, going to fall short, going to fall short. And we know our only hope is then what? It's Christ who then handled possessions correctly, right? He didn't own anything. He served God. Now you can see where the entire monastic world comes from, right? Well, then I'll just be like Jesus. Give up all my possessions and do what? Serve God. We'll grow our own food, whatever the monastery has to do to to maintain itself. But mainly we just focus on what? Prayer, 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 prayer. I mean... It's the liturgy of the hours in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evenings. Then you have the rosary, and then you have mass, and then you have uh, your time of spiritual reading where you just read some, something from the church fathers. That's your life. Okay, that, that, are they worried about money? Are they worried about possessions? No, they seem to actually be the only people who get it right. Well, we know we don't believe that that's what we're all, even not all Catholics believe they're all called to that, right? They believe that's a special calling. Okay, well, that's the special calling. What about the rest of us? So this story seems to imply that, yes, my attitude about money, right, needs to be one in which will get me into eternal life. And I'm going to say we will never accomplish it. There's just no way. I, and, and forget this, this passage leaves me with a lot I don't understand. But I can just go, I can just go right back. Uh, how many do I have in Luke? Uh, if I go, I'll just look at some in Luke really quick. Go to, I think, Luke 3. All right, Luke 3. I'm just going to go through some quick passages in Luke. All right. Uh, Luke 3, 12, tax collectors also came to be baptized and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? And what did he tell them to do? And verse 13, Luke 3, uh, 13. Okay, don't, don't be greedy. Don't be greedy. Don't be greedy. Next verse, some soldier, soldiers in verse 14. What do they say? What should we do? And then what does he tell them? All right, this is the idea. Don't do, in other words, don't take uh, money from anyone by force or by false accusation. Do what? Be content with your wages. So immediately, this is a deal with people coming to Christ and they're immediately dealt how they deal with their money. Are they not immediately told what to, that their issue here is how they're going to handle their money? All right. So that's in Luke 3. Now, if we go to Luke, I think, 12... Luke 12. All right. Uh, Let's go back to, 
Well, well, does some we know some of this. this is, we've already read some of this in uh, in Matthew. So some of the same things are there. If we go back to verse twenty nine, Luke twelve twenty nine, don't strive for what you should eat and drink, and what you should uh, uh, and what should drink, and don't be anxious for the Gentiles world for the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things and your father knows that you need them but seek his kingdom and all these things will be provided for you don't be afraid little flock because your father delights to give you the kingdom sell your possessions how does the king james put verse 33 sell what you have give alms okay yeah that do not grow old and what else? Treasure. Treasure in heaven. So in other words, sell everything you have and focus on what? Tre- Once again, it's the same concept. It shows up over and over and over that what should our attitude be with money? We do whatever we got to do to get rid of it so that, the, so that we get eternal life. It's, it's almost always connected to eternal life in some way. Nobody wants to talk about this. Right? Because... Uh, in fact, it's weird that within the Christian world, we've literally flipped this around. You've got programs like Dave Ramsey, and you've got all the, and it's always about how to invest your money, how to be wise with your money, be a steward with your money, not be in debt. And it's all about how to be wealthy and successful, right? Well, this, the New Testament is do what? Just get rid of all of it. The Christian world has so, this is once again showing that sometimes I don't think the Christian world is even connected to the Bible, right? We take the scriptures that we want to create whatever we, our Christianity that we want. This is, this is confronting us with, man, man I've got to be taking my money and using my money in a way that gets me into heaven. Now, immediately when I know that, what Jesus seems to be saying I'm supposed to be doing with my money is what? Well, all these other passages, just getting rid of it. Now, and all the cases of getting rid of it, what am I supposed to be getting rid, rid of it? How? I'm giving it to other people. That's a good way to make friends. Right? Okay, right? So, right? I, I give it all to them, right? That, that seems to be a common thing. Okay, uh, let's see. What, what else? Go to Luke. Then uh, Is it Luke uh, 14? Like Luke 14. We looked at this. Uh, the other day, look at verse 33. You cannot even be his disciple unless you've done what? Forsake everything you have. There's all your possessions gone. And when he says forsake them, what is Jesus? Again, based off the rest of scripture, what would that mean? Would that mean you just walk away and just leave them? You're giving them to other people. The correct way to use money in the New Testament is to forsake it all to other people. Now, Jesus tells this story in Luke 16, which seems to imply what? That we give it away in order to ensure eternal life. Now, he uses the whole friend kind of concept, but I think the point is, is this is a restatement of everything that we've seen in the New Testament, which is that according to God's law, he demands such absolute allegiance and love and devotion to him that we separate ourselves from all our material goods. And that's what Jesus demands. And we all know we are not going to accomplish that ladies and gentlemen we are going to fall short we are going to fall we are not going to use unrighteous mammon in a way that the bible seems to indicate in order to have eternal life so we're going to have to have someone who did use worldly wealth in a way to uh, obtain eternal life and that would only the only person that can be is jesus because he handled worldly wealth the correct way didn't have any In him. So in that sense, then I need him because without him, I'm not getting into heaven. In fact, if you even go to, if you look at Luke, uh, jump to Luke. Let's see, we looked at Luke 16. Was there any more? Well, if you if you go down and look at the rest of the story, um, see, uh, look at verse 13. No servant can serve. Two masters. He will either hate the one or love the other and will be devoted to the one despite that. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Once again, it's, even in that same text, it's the same concept. And then he has the story of the rich man and Lazarus, right? Right? What, the rich man goes where? To hell, exactly. So over and over, this is the story. The only thing I can understand with this story is that Jesus is using this story to, Im- to, to demonstrate this, that my approach to money must be one in which I, in a sense, use unrighteous mammon and the way that I handle it, handling it the way that all these scriptures demand, which is basically forsaking it and giving it away so that I get into heaven. And immediately, then what should be my words at that point? Woe is me. Because just in the ones we've looked at today, does any one of us fulfill any of those? If we're even remotely honest, we don't even come close. Okay? We, we, are, we, are, we are human beings who want money, we need money, we think about money, we obsess over money, we use money, we work for money, and we have a tendency to protect our money. We save our money, and, we are, and no matter how much we want to say it, we, I, I, look, I know nobody wants to admit this, we have a tendency to try to serve two masters. Because we are conflicted sinners who think about our own existence, our own futures, future of our loved ones, and we think about well, how we're going to pay this, how we're going to pay that, how we're going to do this. And as a result, we are conflicted people. And I wish that I could take my unrighteous mammon and use it in such a way that, quote unquote, I'll be welcomed into heaven. But I'm never going to use my unrighteous mammon in a way that's going to get me into heaven. Because I will use that unrighteous mammon for my own self way. So what's my only hope? I got to find someone who, in a sense, uses unrighteous mammon the correct way. And the only person I can think of is Jesus, who did not, he, was, he didn't own anything. Remember, the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head, remember? Right? He didn't have anything. Right? He trusted God for all of his sustenance. Yes? Right? It was an angel who ministered to him after he fasted for 40 days. Remember that? Okay? He trusted God. I wish I could trust him that way, but I don't. I'm just going to be honest. So guess what? I have to look to Christ has to be the, the one that's going to let me in. I, I, nothing else makes any sense. The whole story is bizarre beyond all comprehension. I will be the first to admit that. But I know, I know sometimes we don't like, depending on your theology, I know the law gospel thing sometimes drives people crazy, but I don't have a better solution here because the solution here calls for me to handle unrighteous mammon in such a way that will get me into heaven. And I will tell you, I am never going to pull that off. I am never, you go throughout the, the Sermon on the Mount, everything. Am I ever going to handle my enemies in a way that will get me eternal life? No. Am I going to ever handle my love for God in a way that's going to get me eternal life? No. Am I ever going to love my neighbor the way that I need to to inherit eternal life? Am I going to do anything in the Sermon on the Mount in a way that would require to get me eternal life? The answer is no. So then guess what? When it comes to money, same principle applies. I do believe the text is demanding that we use money in a way to get into eternal life. I do believe it means that because all the other texts constantly says forsake, forsake, get rid of, forsake. Well, guess what? I'm never going to accomplish that. So I, I, I'm going to see it more as a law that condemns. My only other option is to do, well, I, I'll just again read those, how it was summarized in a Catholic homily. We need to use money well in order to enter into eternal life. Well, then I'm in trouble. I'm in serious trouble. Most commentaries just ignore that. They just, they just, they just act like, they go with things like this. Uh, we can waste money. We can serve God with money. We can try to serve God and money. And we can let money be our God. So, they just tried to take some, pre- they don't ever deal with the actual, <laughs> that actual verse. They skip that verse. You know why they skip that verse? Because nobody knows what to do with that verse. 
Or they try to say, this is about you investing into the kingdom of God so that when you get to heaven, there'll be some people there to welcome you in. But this is not about welcoming you in. This is about when something fails, whether it's the money or whether it's me, someone there is to help me in because I'm not going to get in because everything else failed. Christ. That's and somehow I've got to be doing something to make it work. And that's the use of unrighteous mammon in a correct way. You can, you can tell me what you think about all of that because we are done. All right. Please uh, feel free to look up all the rest of the scriptures about money. There's plenty of them. And uh, you will, I think you'll see that what I articulated carries through the entire Bible. It's all over the place, over and over and over. So, all right, let's pray. Lord, God, we come before you this afternoon. Lord, one of the most complicated, difficult passages that we probably didn't even come close to understanding. Forgive us for our misunderstanding. But Lord, let us under, we do understand this. We are incapable time and time again of keeping the laws and the passages that we read. But we know your son kept them perfectly. Let us find hope, peace, and comfort in him and him alone so that he would be the reason we enter into our eternal dwelling. And we thank you for everything he did for us. And it's in his name we pray. And God's people said,